family that worships there joins hands when we come to this time of service and we're convenient even across the aisles with hands joined and our hearts joined and our heads bowed let's pray together father we thank you for your promise never to leave us and never to forsake us we thank you father that you have kept your promise that you keep your promise and we pray that every one of us in this service today will have a resurgence of faith within us, a renewal of hope within each of us, a recommitment to positive living within each and every heart. Father, we know that you are the spirit of life. Your vivifying power has come to lift us into new realms of living and thinking and doing utilize this service today as a spiritual refueling spot for all of us in our personal journey of faith because we pray this in the name of jesus christ our savior amen you know i, I believe that there is a veritable epidemic of negativism sweeping the country maybe the world we are, a lot of us, basically negative in, in our dispositions. And a lot of us who grew up in a rather uh, rigid, uh, legalistic, uh, religious backgrounds, uh, in varying degrees, a lot of us in this room did, uh, have had to deal with that, uh, that persistent negativism regarding our attitude and our spirit. But I'm, uh, I'm kind of discouraged about the, the epidemic of negativism. And this, uh, this little bit from peanuts here will help me and then I want to read a passage of scripture that I believe is appropriate. Uh, Lucy says uh, to Linus, what do you think is the biggest problem we have to worry about in the world today? And he says, chocolate sundaes. They fill up those tall dishes with the ice cream, right? Then they pour the chocolate sauce over it. As soon as you try to dig your spoon into the ice cream, the chocolate runs over the side of the dish. That's the biggest problem we have to worry about in the world today. Lucy says, I just found out we're in better shape than I thought we were. <laughs> I hope this worship experience this morning will help all of us find out that we maybe are better in, in better shape than we thought we were. To help reinforce that, may we stand, please, for the reading of the Word of God from a book written by the Apostle Paul while in prison. The book of Philippians, subtitled The Epistle of Joy. In the fourth chapter, we read these words, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's in prison. Rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near, even in prison. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Father, for this positive, uplifting, reinforcing word from your inspired apostle, we do thank you and praise you. May the words we have read be applied to our minds, our spirits, and our living, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want you to use your imagination with me for a few moments this morning. You have one. I want you to use it. I want you to pretend you're walking beside a very dedicated religious leader who was standing listening to Jesus in some discussion with other religious leaders 2,000 years ago. This man was an authority in Jewish law called a scribe, very concerned about the law the meaning of it, the application of it. You're standing beside him. And he is listening to Jesus. And then he asks a question. This may be your question. Maybe mine. And a good question it is. He says, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? What is the number one commandment? Excellent question. Jesus answered, The foremost commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. And what he means by that is, the second is inseparable from the first. It is like the other side of the coin. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Fantastic question in the light of the fact that you and I for the last number of weeks have been talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments given by God to Moses on Sinai and through him to the people of Israel and through them to the world. The number 10 commandment, the last, thou shalt not covet, as we discussed last week, is the hinge that opens the door, giving us a hint of the fact that the commandments and the plan and the provision of God for the keeping of those commandments is moving past external word to internal attitude. For he says... You will not covet. Up until that moment, he's been talking about behavior, things that we will do that we will not do. But in the 10th commandment, he is giving us a hint that there is movement here. There is progressive revelation here. There is something more to be heard and experienced here than was heard and experienced on Sinai. Jeremiah picked it up. 
led by the Spirit of God in Jeremiah 31, 31. He says the promise of God is He will someday write those commandments upon the heart and the mind. He will move inside with these commandments. He will move from external coercion to internal motivation. And so here is Jesus Christ giving us exactly what had been prophesied and predicted. It's interesting to notice that the commandments are generally divided by biblical scholars as well as the fact that they were given on two tablets, that the first four commandments have to do with our relationship to God. You will have no other gods before me. You will not make any graven images. You will take me seriously. You will not be casual about our relationship. In other words, you will not take my name in vain. You bear my name. That's not just the language we use. That's a very slight application of it. It has to do with the seriousness with which we take our commitment to God. Don't take me for granted, he says. I don't take you for granted. Don't take me casually. I do not take you casually. Do not take me in vain. And then remember my day and keep it holy. Remember you and I need to have relationship together in worship. Those four commandments have to do with man's relationship to God. The next six have to do with man's relationship to man. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. So in these two statements of Jesus, he summarizes both of the tablets of the law. Our relationship to God, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the last six, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's predicated upon our loving God. Why? Because he first loved us. You cannot command love. There's no way in the world you can command love. The only way love can happen is for it to be a contact within us. It has to be an experience within us. Loving Him who first loved us. It comes as a response to the initiative of Almighty God. And we love Him. And by loving Him, He pours His love and His life and His Spirit into us and begins to progressively give us the capacity to love Him greater and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It begins with a relationship and not a rule. It begins with a contact and not a commandment. It begins with knowing God and God's love. As a result of that, we have a different attitude toward God, a different attitude toward ourselves, and we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, which says that once we know that we are loved by God and love Him, we change the attitude we have toward ourselves, and changing the attitude we have about ourselves with God's Spirit within us and our changed attitude, we can then begin to have a different attitude toward the world around us. God begins inside and works outwardly. Religion always begins externally and tries to work internally. The works of man always start outside. Obey this rule, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And a lot of us in this room today, in varying degrees, have grown up in religious environments that were basically negative, basically guilt-ridden, and basically implied that you've got to do something yourself to earn the love of God and to be right with God. 
And we need to be delivered from that because it is not New Testament. It is not what Jesus came to do. He did not come to establish a religion that if we keep all of the rules, we'll get to know Him. He came to establish a relationship, and when that relationship is established, we automatically and inevitably begin to live in another way. He begins inside with a relationship. Notice the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 5th chapter of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount begins with what? The what? The B-attitudes. B-attitudes. The attitudes we are to be. He does not begin with behavior. He doesn't begin with behavior. He begins with the attitudes. For the only way that behavior can be dramatically and permanently altered is by a change of spirit, a change of attitude, a change of heart, and a change of mind. That's why Jesus said, you will love God with all of your heart, not just emotionally though, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that psyche, that spirit, that conscious, love God with all of your soul, with all of your spirit, strength, and with all of your mind. He changes our minds, not just our feelings. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Not just let this emotion be in you, but let this way of thinking be in you. We are to start thinking like Jesus Christ. And when we begin by the permeation of His Spirit and His truth within us, when we begin to think like Him, we will then begin to act like Him in our relationship to other people. Be attitudes. Precede behavior. It begins inside. Now, I started to call this sermon the 11th commandment. I didn't because I remember back to high school and Marine Corps days and college days, the old joke about the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment was what? Don't get caught. That's right. <laughs> Don't get caught. Now, I think that that grew out of a preoccupation with one or two of the commandments. I don't think it grew out of a preoccupation with all of them. A lot of us are not worried about getting caught, not worshiping God, or having worshiping graven images, or uh, not going to church on Sunday. It, it got down to the big four, didn't it? It got down to the big four of murder, and adultery, and stealing, and lying. Realistically, it got down to one, if you want to be honest with it. It got down to number seven. got down to our sexual behavior. Do you know where, let me, let me give you something to talk about at coffee break tomorrow. <laughs> sex. Uh, do you know where the word sex came from? The word sex came from the, the Latin Bible, the old Latin Bible, has the same commandments in it. 
that, that uh, we have in, in, in the modern translations. But the Latin Bible combined the first and second commandments into one commandment. They had ten, but they divided them differently. They combined one and two. Have no other gods before me, and not make unto yourself any graven images. They made that into one commandment. Then they took number ten and divided it into two commandments. You will not covet, period. You will not covet your, covet your neighbor's uh, property, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house. So they still had ten, but they divided them up, which means that all those commandments in the middle got moved up one, which meant the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, in the Latin Bible was number six, not number seven. And the Latin for the numeral six is sexus, S-E-X-U-S. So that's where it came from how the word sex came into our vocabulary. In a way, it would be kind of clumsy if, if it hadn't come into the world. That way. It'd, be, it'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it, to say, that person has a lot of seventh appeal. <laughs> or isn't that a sevenly person, you know? Okay, enough of that uh, deep uh, insight. We, uh, we get worried about, uh, don't get caught, don't get caught. Listen, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Now listen to that. It doesn't say, be sure everybody else will find out your sins. It says, our sins get us. They imprison us. They enslave us. They dominate us. They contaminate us. They find us out. This idea that Jesus has come as some, as some security guard to watch over and try to catch everybody breaking the Ten Commandments, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to deliver us. We're already prisoners. And that's what he declared in the Nazareth Manifesto in his sermon in his home synagogue when he said he has come to deliver the captives who have been captured by their own disbelief, by their own immoral practices that in varying degrees has made them into slaves. He has come to set us free. For if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus has not come to imprison us. He's come to liberate us. We're already imprisoned by our own unbelief. So, in a sense, it is true. Don't get caught. Listen to me. Don't be caught alone and afraid without Jesus in your life. Corral sang it beautifully. It's terrible to be alone. Even when we may actually not be but feel so, it's the same. Don't be caught alone or afraid without Jesus. He said he'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never turn his back on you. 
He'll be with you forever and ever and ever. Don't be afraid. You know, we sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and we have a sense of fear and we don't know what, what causes it. It comes erupting up out of our troubled subconscious. Events that may have taken place years, decades before, somehow conspire to erupt onto the plane of our conscious thinking and we wake up and we feel afraid and we can't give it a face. We can't define it. In the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of that fear, he's with you. And he has promised, listen to him. There is no fear in love, the Apostle John tells us, fourth chapter, 18th verse. There's no fear in love. And he loves you. He loves you. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love Complete love, total love, casts out fear. Who is perfect love? Who is total love? Who is 100% love? Jesus is. And he will be with you. Don't be caught alone or afraid without the conscious presence of the fear dispeller, Jesus Christ. Talked to a man a couple of weeks ago who is critically ill, terminally ill, unless there is a miraculous intervention by medicine and prayer or a combination thereof. And he was concerned about the future, about his relationship to God. He said, Buckner, you know, my, my conscience bothers me. He said, I have been a bad man, but there's just, just things inside that bother me. We talked for a couple of hours and I thought of a scripture. It's a marvelous, marvelous statement. It happens to be Martha's favorite statement from her favorite book, the book of 1 John, same book I just referred to. But this is in the third chapter, in the 20th verse. I said to him, and I say to myself, and I say to you, we feel guilty we may or may not be. We may have a false guilt. We may have let other people lay guilt upon us. It may not be, it may not be a legitimate guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty about things we ought not to feel guilty for, and sometimes we unfortunately don't feel guilty about some things we should feel guilty about. It's what cuts both ways. But whatever the source, whether it's real or imagined, whenever... Our heart condemns us whenever our conscience condemns us. Remember, God is greater than our hearts. Powerful. He's greater than my heart. And it says he knows all. He knows all. And he's greater than my guilty conscience made guilty by real or imagined problems. He's greater than my heart. Don't be caught feeling guilty without Jesus.
in your life. Don't be caught in a storm, storm of trouble, storm of failure, storm of stumbling without Jesus. The choir sang it magnificently. Let me read you a passage from the 37th Psalm. It's a marvelous passage. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Join the Lord. It's wonderful. If he falls, he's in the Lord. But if he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong. Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Did you hear them sing that? He holds my hand. Our two granddaughters are both very active. Julia, 16 months old now, is especially active. She doesn't walk, she runs. She is the daughter of Mike Fanning, constantly moving, incessant activity, perpetual motion, going, going, going. Last Saturday, we were having a family time together, and Julia would take off running, and twice or more, at least twice, she fell and skinned one knee, fell again later, skinned the other, got up, very little, if any, crying, and just kind of rubbed her knees, and took off again. Nobody was holding her. But listen, you, you've done it. Grandparents, parents, you've had the same experience. Sometimes when you're going down an incline or going across the street, of course, we always hold hands. And, and you reach down. If you let them hold your hand, if they're holding on to your hand, and they lose their balance, they trip or they stumble, what happens to them? They fall because it's instinct to turn loose and put your hands out there to try to break your fall. If you're doing the holding when you stumble, you fall. But if the parent's doing the holding and they stumble, who holds them? He holds them. She holds them. Jesus said, I've got you in the palm of my hand and nothing no power on earth no devil in hell can pluck you out of my father's hands I've got you I hold you do not be caught in a storm without Jesus do not be caught stumbling without Jesus. One last word. Don't be caught in the dark of life or death without Jesus. Don't be caught in the dark of life or death without Jesus. I'm not being morbid. I'm just being truthful. 
and it bothers us sometimes to hear the truth, unfortunately. All of us, someday, are going to die. That's just a fact. Don't be caught dead without Jesus, who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Don't be afraid to trust him. Don't be afraid to follow him. Don't be hesitant to commit yourself to him. Plato said, I can understand why children are afraid of the dark. What I can't understand is why adults are afraid of the light. The light. Don't walk in the dark of today and of a tomorrow that's coming without the light. Trusting, accepting, following, confessing, and serving. Why? Because we love him who first loved us.